0: In 1837, Hans Christian Andersen wrote an amusing little tale called The Emperor's New Clothes. Now first let me tell you the story and then I'll tell you why I've been telling you the story. Once upon a time there was an emperor of a city-state. He was a very, very vain man and frankly not that bright. He loved clothing. Yes, he was a man but he loved bright clothing and elegant clothing. One day, two swindlers, two conmen, came into town. And they started spreading the word around that they could make the most amazing cloth. They could weave the most amazing cloth of wonderful colours. Wonderful, almost magical cloth. And the story got around town, and soon the emperor heard of it. He wanted this. So he got hold of these two swindlers and called them in, and they said, sure, we can do this for you. Set us up in a room in the palace, and pay us what we demand and give us all the finest material to work with and we'll, we'll do it with pleasure. So he did. And they set themselves up, and closed the doors, and they started. All he could hear was the clacking of the, the weave going and the loom backwards and forwards, etc., etc. Oh, he was so keen to see what they were doing. But he didn't. And I'll tell you why he didn't. Because they had told him this. Emperor, the cloth that we will weave is the most amazing cloth you've ever seen. Not only is it beautiful, but it has the ability of discerning who is stupid and who's not fit for office, because it can only be seen by those who are clever and those who are fit for office. Otherwise, it's invisible to them. So the clacking and the noise went on, and every now and then the door would fly open and they'd ask for more money or for woven gold or fine silk or whatever it was, which by the way, they packed into their suitcases for a quick getaway later, it was the lute. Eventually the emperor called his most trusted servant, his, his Prime Minister, in fact, a wise old gentleman, who had been with him for years, and he said to him, you go in there, and you see what they're doing, you report back to me. Now, of course, the whole palace by this stage understood the story, they had heard the story of this magical material. Poor old guy goes in there, went into the room, closed the door, and he looked, all he could see, was an empty loom with these two guys working away on nothing. Nothing. Fresh air. Oh my goodness, he thought to himself, what am I going to do? Obviously, I'm stupid, and obviously I'm not fit for office, otherwise I'd be able to see this. Oh dear. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just play this really cagey, cagey. The two weavers started to say to him, Prime Minister, do you see these glorious colours? Do you see the rainbow hues? I mean, don't they just glisten in the sun like a rainbow? Oh, beautiful, iridescent colours, aren't they? And the old Prime Minister started nodding his head wisely and saying, hmm, absolutely, I can see exactly what you mean. I'll be sure to tell the Emperor about this. Rushed out, closed the door, went to the Emperor. Emperor said, so, what's it like? Oh, so, absolutely beautiful. You can't believe how nice they are and he repeated to the Emperor all the things that the conminer told him about the, the cloth. After a while, the Emperor decided, No, it's time I need to see for myself. So he gathered his whole cabinet around him, including the Prime Minister. They all went in, and the Prime Minister stuttered importantly forward, and he started to show the invisible cloth to the Emperor and the others. He said, "Can you see how beautiful this is? Can you see not these glorious, glorious rainbow hues shining and shimmering?" And of course, everybody nodded to each other. Absolutely, they said. They muttered approving, and the emperor thought, "Oh, I can't see a thing. Oh, they cannot see that I'm unfit for, for that. I'm stupid. But hey, I'm not that stupid. I've got a plan." So he said, wonderful job, gentlemen. You are doing a superb, superb job. In fact, I am so pleased I am going to award you the honorary title of Sir Weaver. When will this be ready that you can make clothing for me? And they discussed a date and a time. The whole cabinet agreed that as soon as the emperor had his new clothes, they should march in procession through the city with the emperor leading them, so all the people who had all heard about what was going on could see these wonderful clothes. They came. The emperor and his cabinet went in. There were the weavers standing with nothing in their hands. They positioned the emperor in front of the mirror and said, Sire, if you would just disrobe yourself, we would have the great honor of placing these wonderful garments upon you. Can you see this lovely shirt? Can you see these trousers? Can you see this sash and this belt? Can you see this marvelous hat which we've created? And there he stood in front of the mirror, stock, staring naked, as they pretended to wrap him and dress him, saying all the while, Isn't that wonderful? Very light, is it, sire? It's gossamer. It's almost as light as spider silk. Almost, you cannot feel it. Not so, sire. Oh, wonderful. The emperor marches out with his crowd behind him, his ministers. Out they went into the city. And he proudly strutted naked in front of all his people. Down the main parade, the people who had heard about this saw that he was naked, but there was no ways that they were going to admit this. They weren't stupid, huh? 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 So they nodded approvingly, and they cheered and they applauded. But suddenly a little child with a pipingly high penetrating voice cried out from the crowd, "But he's not wearing any clothing!" It was a deathly silence. And then one by one the adults started to giggle, and then they will started laughing, and eventually they will start slapping their knees and go falling and bending over in hilarity. But the emperor was so proud he was not prepared to admit his mistake so he went on marching down the street, dressed only in his birthday suit. Now when I reread that story the other day, a passage of scripture came to mind almost immediately. And that passage is Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Let me read it to you. Jesus writing to one of the churches of Asia Minor of the day of John the Revelator, and he said, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to bribe from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and pure soul on your eyes so you can see. Now, why do I find Hans Christian Andersen's tale worth telling? And why am I linking it to this passage in the scripture? Well, the story was probably designed as a cautionary tale against the stupidity of greed, right? But I believe that it also serves as a parody of our world today, and particularly of our nation of South Africa, today. You see, COVID-19, the virus, has come into town like a swindler, like a con man, and it's stripped almost everything naked before us. Not just the emperor, not just our emperor, but everything and every one of us have been stripped naked. Concerning Revelation 3, the connection is quite clear to me because Jesus dictated this to real churches of the time, but this one to the church of Laodicea and the others also apply to the church of every age since then, the last two thousand years, and in fact aspects of churches, all churches, throughout all those ages. But today I want to apply Revelation 3, 17 to 18 to our nation, but more specifically to the church in our nation in this present tumultuous time. Just consider the issue of national unity. Now look, we've understood for a long time that our nation is broken up. It's not united, it's fragmented. We've, we've understood that. But now the pandemic has come in and stripped it absolutely bare. And we see the terrible extent of this disunity in our nation. Gracious me, the government is at odds with itself. Political parties are fighting with each other. Races are bickering and squabbling and even fighting one to another. The haves and the have nots are at odds with each other. Even women against men and men against women. It's terrible, terrible disunity in our nation. But the ruling really party does not want to admit and it's basically try to pretend that it is as united as it's always been and that its corporate colors its party colors that it wears are as rainbow hued and shiny as the day they were 27 years ago when they came to power. <laughs> well we've known that corruption as well is rife in our nation don't we It's not just this unity, there's also terrible corruption. But we've never, I don't think any of us have realised the terrible extent of that corruption. And how pervasive it's been, and how costly to us as a people. Oh wow, it's been laid before us, so bare, stark naked. We used to talk in terms of corruption amounting to millions, then we started to talk about it going into billions, and now they're talking of it being one, or two, or even more trillion rand. Our money, our nation's prosperity, our children's future, that has been taken by the few greedy among us. For the first time, I think, we've all become conscious of the desperate and starving and hopeless millions in our nation who have been stripped of everything they have of jobs, of clothing, of food, of dignity through the almost unbelievable greed of a relatively small number of people in our ranks. But corruption doesn't march alone through the streets of our nation, it's accompanied by violence terrible violence a national sickness of violence violence of men against women children being butchered sold as pots for moody sold into slavery raped abused farmers being brutally hacked to death one after the other after the other a terrible litany of the sickness of violence in our nation Now for the first time, I think, we see the real extent of all of that. But I want to particularly address the current state of the church today. I'm sure you've heard the saying, as goes the family, so goes the church. Sorry, as goes the family, so goes the nation. Well, there's an equally true statement, which is, as goes the church, so goes the nation. Now, during the more than seven months now of national lockdown, the gathered church has suffered real damage. Real damage, been stripped. The pandemic, you know, can't threaten the nature and the importance and the purpose of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it can and has ravaged its visible appearance. its The garments with which the church is adorned, its gathered nature, the corporate gatherings, of the church bodies across our nation and across the world. And I think it's also caused many of us to ask the sobering question, but why do we need to gather as churches anyway? We seem to be coming by okay with internet, stream services, and so on. Uh, Let me ask the question. Why then does the church gather? Well, i tell you what, the virus has shown almost everybody, young and old even, that we don't need to gather together to hear a sermon. Goodness gracious! We can hear probably the best sermons in the world, we can pick which one we want to see, here. we can listen to them on any day, from Sunday through to Saturday, or at any time we like, from any place we like. No, we don't need to gather church for that anymore. We don't need the gathered church to sing Christian songs. And we can sing along as jolly as ever before CDs, or downloaded podcasts, or streamed visuals of wonderful Christian worship from anywhere. And you know what? We don't even have to gather together for special pre-meetings like the Monday Night Revival Press. Hey, we can do it okay using Zoom, or Skype, or something like that. Well, from my perspective, The essential three elements of the Gathered Church are these one the sense of the immediate presence of God two interaction with one another through fellowship and ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, and three active participation and response to the preached word of God. We sense the immediate presence of God most acutely, you know, when we gather together as spiritful believers, because corporately we come together. When we are together with the same Spirit of God living within each one of us, with the anointing of his Spirit covering us like, like a glory, then the dynamic of worship and the presence of God is more real than could ever be alone in our studies, or we'll gather just with our families. We, we minister to one another and we experience the fellowship of the believers through sharing, through just saying hello, through ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, most importantly, ministering the gifts of the Holy Spirit to one another. And we are participating in active response to the preached Word of God by listening as a people, by coming under the conviction of the preached Word of God, by seeing the conviction falling upon those around us, by sitting forward in our seats and listening as we believe Jesus himself is addressing us through that preacher standing right there. And we respond sometimes by standing up and committing ourselves or being prayed for or going forward or falling on our knees. These, then, are the three elements, essential elements, the three reasons why we gather together as the temple of the living God. Yeah, we can worship alone. We can worship in families. We can pray other people we can use the media at our disposal and phone them and send them whatsapps and sms's and voice calls and so on we can access sermons we can access music but none of these come anywhere close to the glory and the reality of the gathered church meeting in the power of the holy spirit under the headship of the lord jesus christ nothing can come close to that we need to worship together. But churches of all ilks, all persuasions, also need to be asking some serious questions of ourselves. Large churches need to wrestle with the government limitations of 250, currently it's 250 people indoors per service. How do they even cover their costs on that, let alone the huge bonds that they repay? How logistically, how do they run five, ten, or more services a Sunday or a week just to? to reach their thousands of people. A challenging task for them. Capable of fracturing them, and even knocking them out of the park. Him and the thing churches, you know, the very traditional one-thing-after-another churches, also need to think very carefully about, you know, are we offering our people now when we call them to regather? Are we offering them anything more than we were giving them through the internet? last seven and a half months why should they then come together if there's no participation no sharing no ministering the power of the holy spirit no interaction why should they come together churches of all sizes need to wrestle with the issue of what do we do with our children and our youth how do we balance the health requirements and the prevention of this horrible disease how do we How do we balance that with this real need to be the gathered church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, these are indeed very challenging times. But but I'm confident that the church leadership of our church, of the Lonely Village Church, are, are rising to the occasion. And they're coming forward with plans that I believe will work and can bring variety and can restore something, if not a lot of, if not more than we had before of these essential ingredients of the gathered church. I'm excited about the opportunities that are before us as a local church. But you know, to realise these possibilities, we need to do two things. To ensure that a new normal for us is a wonderful new normal. Two things. One, stand in unity with our church leaders. Don't give them a hard time. Don't argue the toss about the rules and the regulations and the ways and the methods and why do I have to book a seat at the church and all that stuff. Accommodate this. In fact, go even further. Make sure that you and I find a way to work with this and fit in with this. And then the second thing is commit ourselves to the importance of the gathered Church. Do not give up on the gathered church, just because of COVID-19. Find a way. Do not be guilty of what Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not cease to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, perhaps our current situation actually even gives us as a church an opportunity, well, gives the whole church maybe, the opportunity of returning more closely to the book of Acts, to the early church life, to the New Testament model. So my appeal to every Christian listening to this message is one, commit yourself afresh to the importance of the gathered church, that it's biblical and really important. Two, accommodate the church leaders' decisions that they've reached through really labored discussion and prayer. Find a way to fit in with that and to make it work for each one of us. But finally, the question that is before all of us in these times is what can we do regarding these things? What can we do regarding national unity and corruption and violence and the future of our church? That's the question that is before each of us. You know, we're not all prime ministers. We're not emperors. We're not church leaders, most of us. What can we do? Well, firstly, we can pray for our nation. We can pray for our government. We can pray for our church leaders. We can pray for our church congregations. We can pray for our loved ones and our families. We can pray and intercede and bring others before the throne of Almighty God. Two, we can set an example of biblical righteousness in what we say, what we do, how we deport ourselves in church, in private, in business. Are we living up? to the example of what the church and we as Christians should be. And we can also do what we can within our limited resources and time, availability and talents to really help others, to help the poor and the hopeless, whatever we can do to alleviate their burden at this time. We can get involved in our neighbourhoods, we can get involved in political organisations or groups or initiatives which are truly working to restore godliness to our society. We can lend our weight to those. But most important of all, we can introduce people with a fresh fervour to Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And then we can help them to grow to be more like Him through these trying times. And then we can encourage them to go and to do likewise for others. And lastly, we can partner with the Lord Jesus Christ in building his church. His church. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. That includes COVID-19, shall not prevail against us. We can partner with him in building it, starting right here in our local church. In his letter to the church of Laodicea, the Lord Jesus is, I believe, also addressing our nation and the nations of this world, also addressing the churches and our church. He wrote and said, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Yes, COVID-19 has stripped us bare, but it's helped us to see our nakedness. His letter goes on, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you may become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and soft to put on your eyes so you can see. His gold, his cloth, his eye solve is in his hands, and is offering it to us. If we will respond in a Bible-based, Christ-centered Spirit-led way we will be taking into our hands. I-solve for our healing, and glorious white clothing for our attire as individuals and corporate gatherings, and gold purified by fire.